Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, everybody, welcome back in. It is the Believe and Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Patriots getting ready for the Dolphins. Pats at 6-7, and seven, trying to move to 500. Their playoff odds are dwindling down to 2%, uh, according to 538 Sports. But the Pats will look for a win. There's still three games left, so we'll finish out this season and see what happens. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, at WDEV. Radio Brady. Our producer is Aaron Wells. You can find him on social media as well. And our co-host about to come in in a second here, his former Patriots quarterback and Heisman Trophy winner, CFL Hall of Famer, Doug Flutie. And as always, the podcast brought to you by Bet Online. BetOnline.ag is the only place that you need to be gambling responsibly during this NFL season. But it's not just the NFL, everybody. College basketball back, college football bowl season coming. NBA is going on. Aaron's watching NBA preseason games as we tape this. You can gamble on those pregame and in-game. You got prop bets. You got season win totals for the NBA. So betonline.ag is the place to do all of that. That is the sponsor of this podcast, Believe in Patriots. Aaron, here we go to the podcast. About to hear is a presentation of the Believe in Patriots podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. All the news, opinions, and insights on your six-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Now it's your host, me, Brady Farkas, and Heisman Trophy winner, CFL Hall of Famer, and former Patriots quarterback, Doug Flutie. All right, everybody, welcome into the Believe in Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. This is this is a treat. We do these on audio, but we tape them on video and use the highlights for social media. I am realizing I have been having the worst hair day in the history of the planet, and Doug is dressed up like Santa Claus. We just had our holiday uh, event for our foundation, and my wife and I hosted, and we were dressed up for the occasion and have a festive atmosphere here, so... Uh, yeah, you didn't get dressed for the occasion tonight, Brady. What the heck? I didn't get dressed for the occasion because I didn't know it was that formal. Somewhere I've got a, a light-up Seahawks snow hat, but that might do not so good on the Patriots podcast. <laughs> you miss you missed that memo, huh? You missed the memo on that one. I, I do have my I do have my Julian yep. Edelman Kent State shirt on. There you go, golden flashes, <laughs> ready to rock. Golden flashes ready to rock. I understand we may have a visitor in the background of this podcast at some point today. Uh, Dougie's hanging in the back area, and uh, Dougie has autism. He's 28 years old. That's our foundation event tonight mm-hmm. was raising money for autism. So Dougie has a, ten- he has a tendency to get loud once in a while. <laughs> so if you hear anything going on in the background, it'll probably be Dougie. He, he really doesn't have a filter, so he may say anything. Not uh, <laughs> He just might get loud. Well, you know what? I might get loud too when we talk about the Patriots offense. So he's just another one of us angry Patriots there you fans go. <laughs> at the season ahead that six and seven. And, uh, you know, your foundation has done such great work for so many years now. And Bob Sosi, the voice of the Patriots, is someone I have on my radio show every week. And his son is on the autism spectrum. And he's been a part of your foundation um, and, and ran the marathon, Boston Marathon, in honor of your foundation and raising money for the foundation. It's just such such great work that you guys do um, around the holiday season, especially here. It uh, just, you know, continues to shed a light on all the work that you guys do. 
You know, it's amazing. With this year, it was a very scary year for us. We didn't know how, what direction it would go with COVID and everything shutting down and people money-wise. We actually did virtual events this year and raised more money this year mm. than ever before. It, it was just, uh, it, it's amazing how giving some people are and people are just consistent with us and they've been there. It's been 22 years and uh, we were able to give out over $400,000 in grants this past month. And uh, it's just, it, it just never stops amazing me how, how much uh, people really give and care. And it's been really something that warmed my heart. You know, I want to ask you this. Do you know from your time at Boston College and your time in the area, do you know the story of Travis Roy, the men's hockey player from Boston University? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So Travis is somebody who I've met on a number of occasions. He just recently passed away, tragically. Um, I don't know how the two foundations could be intertwined, but Travis Roy's foundation puts on a um, a wiffle ball tournament every year in Vermont, right down the street from where Aaron and I are right now. And in this guy's backyard is a replica to scale Fenway Park, Wrigley Field, and Field of Dreams. And teams come from all wow. over the country, and they raise money for spinal cord research. I don't know how the two foundations could be intertwined, but I'm going to go noodle on this because with as competitive as you are and as fun as you are and as charitable as you are, I could see you coming up from Florida, bringing a team, a Flutie Foundation team, up to Vermont <laughs> to play in the Travis Roy tournament. I'll bring the old geezers up. We'll be, we'll be 65 and over and playing wiffle ball. Um, yeah, the wiffle ball tournament. Wiffle ball is amazing, too. I mean, the things that the guys that play wiffle ball and put the movement on the ball and actually trying to hit the wiffle ball, that's, that's a lot tougher than it sounds. The, those things are all – but uh, to have those fields, the replica fields for people oh. to play on, Definitely uh, very attractive to a lot of people to give and donate and be a part of. So uh, that's a great idea. Well, I homered at Little Fenway in the first year that I played in it, and it was awesome. I went green monster over the green monster. Mic drop, bat flip, game <laughs> over. I mean, you're done, right? Well, it was awesome because I was on the radio station team as a sponsor of the event, and our team was not cut out for this tournament. And uh, mm. we got put in the competitive division, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I, str I struck out. Other guys on the field didn't even get a hit all weekend. But, like, I did get the one homer on the field that everybody was watching. So I walked away I walked away happy well, from it from a performance that's, standpoint. That's, you know, at, especially at my age now, that's why we all still play. We play – we do these events for fundraising. We play competitively – because we enjoy being around each other and competing. And that one moment, you might strike out 10 times, but that one hit, the, the home run or base hit to win a game or these, you know, it's, it's going back, hanging out, having a few drinks with your buddies and uh, talking conversation about it. And, and let, that memory will last forever. Your little <laughs> mini Fenway home run with a wiffle ball. The Travis Roy tournament's really cool too, because there's, there's a lot of celebrities that, that come to it. And, uh, and Travis, there's always a Boston University team. And so the second year I was there, Charlie McAvoy for the Bruins and Jack Eichel, who's the best player on the Sabres. They were both there representing the, uh, the, the uh, BU team. And to see them on a cornfield in, in Essex, Vermont was pretty cool. What's your biggest, what's your foundation's biggest event throughout the year usually? Well, usually we have a gala that we did virtually this year. And we actually raised more money this year than we did last year by having a virtual gala. The same people participate and maybe virtually they allow it just allows people to more easily and more readily be involved without having to make the big effort of getting dressed up and go somewhere and do they do it online and they still feel good about the giving. And 
uh, that's what amazes me that people are still engaged with us on these events. And the one we just did was a, a holiday event that was brand new to us. And uh, we actually set a goal for ourselves and doubled it tonight. So it, it just, people are amazing. And uh, my favorite events are always, have always been, we used to do a basketball tournament. We don't do that one anymore, but we do a road race. Uh, we did interactive type things, a uh, basketball tournament in it's at uh, basketball city every year, all that stuff. But uh, the, we have a team that runs in the marathon every year. We have a group. I've run the marathon four times. Um, and I, I, if I get some more Elmer's glue and a little more duct tape, I might try again, but I, I might be done running the marathon. <laughs> well, very, very awesome to hear that your foundation had a great night and continued to have a great year. And, you know, thanks to everybody who supported all charitable causes here in a really tough year of 2020. Um, on a lighter note, since you are dressed as Santa, I got to ask you, is your holiday shopping done for the year? Uh, is my, has it begun? <laughs> That's the question. Has I, yeah, uh, you know, this, it, the great thing is my, my wife takes care of everyone in the family. Okay. So there's very few obligations. There might be a specific <laughs> here or there gift that I might want to buy and I'll get those. Uh, but as long as I get to, as long as I take care of my wife, I'm good. So I'm, ha I'm about halfway there. I'm about halfway there. I've got her big gift. I got a couple of little things, but she's grown up in a family now where she was the baby of five mm. and there was a big separation. So she grew up kind of as an only child with a bunch of really older siblings that just spoiled her to death. So <laughs> it was Christmas week for her with yeah. presents that would just constant. So I've got to try to keep up that. And I have tried to keep that up for about 40 years to keep up that process. You got to keep up the tradition. The, what's what's Christmas like when you're in the NFL? And you've told us there is no oh. there is, there is no true holiday season in the NFL. But I can just picture you shopping at Christmas Eve at midnight after a film session to get stuff under the tree for seven a.m. The trick was, and, and see now they're now all the guys have it easy. They can go online on Amazon and just order stuff, and it shows mm -hmm. up. But on your day off on a Tuesday morning. I would never go, I would go to the mall as soon as it opened the first hour and I would fly around and get everything done in that first hour to two hours before the mall got crowded and then get the heck out. Because once you're spotted in the mall, you know, when you're an NFL player, when you're in your prime, you become the easy gift for everyone else. They just buy something cheap and get you to sign it and they've got a great <laughs> gift, right? So it just starts. Um, so that was the, the, it was like one or two days at possibly uh, of getting some shopping done. But Christmas day uh, would fall on your day off. Or uh, I, I'm thinking back to one of my last years in San Diego that uh, we just pretended Christmas was the next day because it was yeah. going to be a day off and I'd get home. And, mm -hmm. and we just told my daughter that that, that was Christmas day. And you know, she didn't know any differently. And, uh, you know, so I, the worst Christmas ever was I was playing for New England back in the late 80s. I may have told this story before. We were playing the Dolphins last week of the season, uh, potentially get to the playoffs. Some things had to happen. A couple teams had to lose. But because the weather was so nasty up north, uh, we took the team down and we stayed at Dodger Town in Bureau Beach. Yeah, yeah. I've been to Dodger Town. Yeah. We stayed at Dodger Town. In fact, Dodger Town is 20 minutes down the road for me, and I still play baseball down there. Oh, it's awesome. God. And it's still historic. They got all the old I, pictures. It's amazing. I was and anyway, there, we, I was we there spent six Christmas years ago. Town. I How was long there ago? Six years ago. I was coaching oh. Division Three baseball, 
and uh, we we were there on spring break. So I was there in 2013, the spring of it was awesome. Oh, it's 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 amazing. You walk through some of those halls, see the pictures and all that. Yeah, we spent the whole week there. There wasn't a lot going on. The place was dead quiet. And by the time we played our game, we were away from our families over Christmas for the whole week. And by the time we played our game, we were already out of the playoffs and the game was meaningless. So that was a rough one. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I want to get, I mean, there's no, I, I could do this all day, but I want to transition yeah. in to the Patriots right now. Patriots are six and seven and they're getting ready for the, uh, for the Dolphins, ironically enough, and the Pats are six and seven and the, the Dolphins are eight and five and on the verge of the playoffs right now, or at least trying to get back to them. So um, I got a bunch of things I want to talk about today. So earlier in the week, Doug, Cam Newton defended Josh McDaniels, and he wouldn't let the media come in between him and McDaniels, and the media was trying to get a rise out of Cam, a little bit about play calling on Thursday night. Tom Curran, Patriots insider NBC Sports Boston, also defended McDaniels and said McDaniels is great. So, Aaron, let me hear what Tom Curran had to say. I want to play it for Doug. And to me, McDaniels has been getting blood from a stone since 2018 with this team. I mean – not literally, but pretty damn close to it. <laughs> I mean, whether it's Josh Gordon or Antonio Brown or Chris Hogan or Philip Dorsett or Cordero Patterson in the backfield, or it's it's m- absolutely mystifying to me. And I um, was kind of happy that Newton validated the point I'm trying to make. You got no idea how often he's saving them from themselves. Okay, so Cam likes McDaniels, Curran likes McDaniels. I have been critical of McDaniels, but I understand I'm coming from a fan perspective. I didn't play the game. I don't watch the intricacies that you do. What makes Josh McDaniels a good offensive coordinator? I think the number one thing is taking a look around you, seeing the talent you have and adapting. And that's what he's done this year more than ever before. Um, Not to have dynamic receivers, not to have that explosive guy – It gets tedious. Now this year, and and I'm talking about with Tom Brady even, that Tom was a surgeon at reading coverage, knowing his pass protections, getting the ball out. They they went to a lot of empty sets. Days when they were getting crushed up front, they would get rid of the ball and do the quick passing game and find a way to move the ball and score points. Now it's a whole different story with Cam. With Cam, uh, it's that element of that quick passing game and that uh, surgical – Timing and reading the quick coverage, read the ball out 1.6, 1.8, that's not happening. So now what do you have a quarterback? You have a heck of an athlete that's a competitor, big, strong guy, can run the ball and make you competitive in the run game. So they've developed the running game attack. They're running for more, rushing for more yards than they ever have. Their quarterback's running for first downs, and they have a semi-efficient passing game, although not the big play passing game. And that's a, a factor of potentially – well, they have some speed of receiver. We're finding out they do have some speed of receiver and potential for some of that big play. I think part of that is Cam. You know, he's, I don't want to bash Cam. I love the way he's playing. He's playing as hard as he can play. He's doing everything in his abilities. And I think that Josh has seen that and adapted the offense to it. And they're getting as much as they can out of this offense. And we talked about, we've talked about it all year that – when you play the way they're playing, the margin of error is very, very slim. And if you come away, you, know, you get in that red zone, you get inside the five and you don't stick it in the end zone and you, you decide to go for it, you're coming away with no points or miss a field goal, it crushes you. And that's kind of what happened a week ago. And now, you know, again, you, you step back. You, know, you and I were kicking around the idea of, do you let, let Cam open it up and sling it around? Yeah. 
I really don't think I really don't think that's going to be his forte, and I really don't think it's the forte of this offense. We're going to get to that soon because I think that's not going to happen this weekend as much as I wanted to. I'll get to that in a little bit. You played for a lot of offensive coordinators. What do you look for in an offensive coordinator? Is it the ability to communicate? Is it simply X's and O's? Is it the ability to adjust? Is it someone who can be your buddy? Is it someone who can teach you? What are you looking for? What makes a good offensive coordinator in general? I think what makes him good is the way he communicates his offense to his players and makes it seem simple. Don't overcomplicate it for the play. I mean, Belichick loves his smart football players. Mm -hmm. He pushes them mentally, offensively and defensively. They really push the envelope. But the key is not to overcomplicate it and be able to explain it to them in terms that they understand and get, whether it's, whether it's in a classroom scenario or on the field, walkthrough scenario, out in practice, whatever it is that communicates to those players and can get it through their heads, that's the key. If everybody on the field is on the same page and understand what is expected of them and knows what it, when, you know, we talk about the, the very first step is getting them to buy in. The first step is yep. having confidence in this coordinator or this head coach. Okay, once you have the confidence that what he says, if you can execute what he wants you to do, we're going to have success. That's the first step. Then how do you execute it? You execute it by understanding it. And so many coaches I've been around make it seem a lot more complicated than it is. I always had a way, and, and I go back to my Canadian years, when I put in ideas, or I really had a way of looking at the game very simply and explaining it to the guys around me when we're running an offense. And uh, the guy that I love from an offensive coordinator standpoint was North Turner out in San Diego. Yeah. He, I, he always had that reputation being very quarterback friendly. He did things protection wise. And I understood everything he was asking of me. And that, that goes a long way to guys being on the same page. Cause I've said it before. It's not rocket science. It, it's not the most intricate play wins. It's the execution of the plays that wins. The thing that frustrates me about McDaniels or has frustrated me about McDaniels, I think are unfair. I think I have been unfair because just a lack of knowledge about everything about football from an X's and O's standpoint. So I'm going to run some things by you that I have blamed on McDaniels and I'm going to guess probably aren't his fault. We as fans blame a lack of progress on the offensive coordinator, probably unjustly. And what I mean by that is, Nikhil Harry hasn't taken off like we want him to. We blame that on McDaniels because he's the offensive coordinator. Maybe I should be calling out the wide receiver coach. Cam hasn't progressed as a passer. We blame that on McDaniels. Maybe I should be calling out the quarterback coach. Sony Michelle hasn't progressed. He's gotten worse, it seems, as a running back. We blame that on McDaniels. It might, you know, maybe I should be looking at the positional coach. Does the offensive coordinator really do a lot of teaching? of skills that make you better or is it just hey he's the play caller and you're supposed to already know the basics of the position i i'd, I'd say the latter i say really you know he's in charge of attacking a defense now using his personnel to attack that defense is on the coach mm -hmm. all right finding a way to use harry finding a way to use these guys and get them open that's on the coach that's looking at it and i think josh does a great job of that when he and tom were together uh, they always seem to find that way to, you know, whether it was the tight end position that they accented or the halfback position or the, the year I, I always talk about the year they had Moss at wide out. Um, I think that player development, maybe a young guy, you can, you can develop them some 
and you get them going on the right. I think the biggest aspect of that is the mental preparation of football mm. at the NFL level is a big leap from college football. Understanding what your work week is like and how to manage your time and how to prepare for a game is a real learning curve in the NFL. The physical skills, I think they get developed in college. I think that the, the, you know, there's some thing, there's some tweaking that goes on in the NFL, but it's not really teaching. Keep your shoulders over your feet, you know, getting out of a break, getting your head around out of the break, uh, timing for a quarterback. You can emphasize that. You can talk about it, but you should already know that. If you're Cam Newton and he's what, 31 years old? Yep. You should understand anticipation and timing of throws. That should not be being taught. That should be something he either has or he doesn't by this point in his career. Harry, it's been a few couple of years now into the league. Um, route running his, his rookie year, I'm sure they spent time. They spent some time tweaking, and I, I've never dissected him, but um, yep. you know, he seems like that long strider type, type that maybe wants to run vertically and maybe run the deep comeback and a deep end and not so much the slants and the, the timing routes and all that. Uh, but that's the stuff that they would work on in his rookie year more than anything and during the offseason. Come season, it's more about managing your time and understanding how to dissect the defense and, and know what you're seeing in front of you. That's the teaching aspect at the NFL is what am I seeing in front of me? Where's the double coming from? Where's the coverage? Is it inside leverage, outside leverage? How am I going to release in this particular path? Those types of things not the physical skills. I'm glad you mentioned Harry. I'm glad we talked about Harry because th this one is juicy. This came out today. We're taping this on Wednesday night, and uh, this happened earlier this mid-afternoon. So Nikhil Harry did invest money and time in the offseason and working with, with a receiver coach by the name of uh, Rashad Whitfield. And Rashad Whitfield worked with Odell Beckham and some other top receivers. So Rashad Whitfield, Harry's wide receiver coach, spoke to the media and said, We've got a new quarterback, meaning Harry. We've got a new quarterback. We've got to put some of that blank on Cam. Cam hasn't been the most accurate this year. Like if Nikhil had Tom Brady, Tom Brady would have fed him. But we're back there with Cam, and Cam's getting acclimated to this offense too. So you've got Harry's personal wide receiver coach ripping Cam, saying that Harry's not doing as well because Cam's not doing as well, and he would be doing better with Brady. I got so many angles to this, but I'll start here. If you're the quarterback and that's being said about you, does that something that registers with you? Are you upset by that? No, I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed with the fact that there's an individual trying to defend his own. Like I look at it, agents, agents. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and this trainer is in the same position. His guy isn't getting enough balls thrown his way. This game is not about, Harry getting his 10 catches and his 100 yards. No one else gives a rat's ass about that. That's not the point. The point is winning a football game. And what is the best way to win a football game offensively? It's to run the football, use Cam Newton as a runner, go on the move, hit his little whatever dink and dunk stuff, and move the football as efficiently as possible. Your guy not getting his numbers doesn't matter. And I know that that's how they get judged. That's how contracts get brought up. But the bottom line is you're doing whatever it takes to win the football game. I agree 100%. If, Cam, if, if Tom Brady is your quarterback, Harry's got more catches. Yes. Because they're more efficient throwing the football. They're throwing the ball 40 times a game. And, you know, he, he might get six catches for 80 yards just running his routes. 
but that's not what this offense is. This offense, uh, you know, Harris is getting a bigger part of the offense. Harris is carrying the football. He's having a good year. He's running. You know, all of a sudden he's – no, it's whatever the offense dictates. And, and we went back to it. Cam almost won three games in a row with under 100 yards passing, right? Yeah. And go back to my days in the late 80s, that's what we did at the Patriots. I hated it as a quarterback, but it was how we were going to win. And that's what we did. And it's, it's in this day and age of what you usually see in these offenses, um, it's rare, it's different, it's not the fun, explosive game that we all like to watch, you know, the spread it out, hurry up offense and throw for 350, 400 yards a game. But that's not happening. This is what they have to do to try to win with the group that they have. If you're the quarterback in this scenario, if you're Cam and you've now been talked bad about, are you looking for Harry to do anything? Are you looking for him to put his guy in his place? Are you looking for an apology from him? Like, hey, man, that didn't come from me. Are you looking for anything? Um, I might say something. That I, I would hold nothing against Harry personally. Okay. And I might say to him, hey, tell your boy to keep his mouth shut. We're trying to win football games. That would be mm -hmm. about it. Um, but – it's some. It's more or less somebody else who put in this time and effort with Harry, and wants to help his business more by having Harry have hundred yard games and look like a superstar because I helped coach him during the off season. That's what that's about. Yeah, for sure. I think your point about an agent was right. You know, with somebody who's got a vested interest in seeing Harry do well. I want to kind of flip it here. How important is it for you as the athlete to keep your inner circle? from doing things like that. I mean, we see players, wives or players, husbands say things that get, you know, that make things uncomfortable for the athlete. We see the agent do things. Tom Brady's dad was saying things yeah. for a while that Brady had to get him to stop talking. How important is it for you to keep your inner circle positive than not doing things like that? I, I think it's, it falls on your shoulders and, and you, you do that. You, you talk to your family and friends and your agent and whatever and, and keep it. The problem is in this day and age with social media, it's so darn easy. Yeah. And in one day, you know, you're sitting there in the third quarter of your game and your son doesn't have a catch or, mm -hmm. you, you know, you're, yeah, whatever it is. And all of a sudden they showed a replay of the last play. It was wide open on a post. That could have been a 60 yard touchdown. And you, are angry and you send out a tweet or send out something on Instagram. And that's what happens a yeah. lot of times now today. And there's an instant gratification too, for the individuals that it's just a different time. Um, but it, it falls on the player to keep his, keep his people in line a little bit. And that's what I say. You know, if you're the quarterback, you might say to Harry, Hey, tell your boy to, to put a lid on it over there. How many degrees of separation is it before you stop being offended? And what I mean is if the talk radio host says something, you might not care. If the newspaper columnist writes something, you might not care. But Harry, his this guy who's in his inner circle says something, that might bother you. Like I don't know how far removed does the person yeah. have to be for you to not care. Yeah, that's true. Probably probably that only that second degree. Okay. Uh, yeah, only the inner circle really matters to you. Only the number one guy, the number two guy, maybe depending on if if you've met them before after a game and hung yeah. out. Um, yeah, because my day and age, it was just the talk radio guy you worried about. It was yep. the talk radio shows, and I was one that I, I liked my happy little bubble. I didn't listen to talk radio. I didn't want to listen to the news. I didn't want to read the newspaper. I didn't want to hear that stuff. And I wanted to go through my daily routine and try to protect myself from it. But still, 
you know, guys on, did you hear what so-and-so said? You know, somebody on the team's going to come up and mention it to you and it gets to you. Yeah. And uh, if, if you say you're not affected by it, you're, you're lying because it does bug you. And you just, it's just more motivation though, to, to lock back in and, and, and push past it to, to do well. And then predictably Harry, uh, or I'm right, sorry, the trainer came out and said he was misquoted and that he never right. said those things. And of, of, of course he said those things. He's got a vested interest in Harry doing well. And I happen to know the writer personally who wrote it. Like, come on, like you see, that's yeah. what you said. That's what you, and if I'm Harry, Look, I want to keep working with the guy because his resume is good. But if I'm Harry, I got to put him in his place. Like, you work for me. I pay you to make my life easier, not harder. Exactly. Look, just I understand your frustration. I'm frustrated, too. But let's just keep it quiet and, and do your thing. Um, obviously, he probably I'm sure he said it. And just step up and say, you know what? I misspoke. I, 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 I was acting out of emotion right away. And he had a rough day. And I got mad. Just own it and move on patriots are taking on the dolphins are coming up on sunday one o'clock with the kickoff six and seven new england eight and five miami aaron let me get the first impression sounder here first impressions doug i think based on what bill belichick said today this game is going to be the complete opposite of what i want it to be so here's what belichick <laughs> said he says miami's done a good job they've turned they've turned their opponents over a lot it's a good team that has thrived off defensive turnovers. And as always, ball security will be key for us in this game. So he's pointing out to you, they're good at taking the ball away. They've lived off that. And ball security is going to be important. They're not throwing the ball 27 times like they're, I want them to. They're not, they're not letting Cam loose, huh? Um, you know, after you made that statement, we were talking about, you know, maybe it's time to let Cam just sink or swim throwing the football. And I was thinking, yeah, maybe it is. Yeah, let's find out. But I, I, I keep going back to what's the best way to win this game. And the best way to win this game is probably run the football, protect it, that you're going against Tua that you know Bill is probably going to be able to defend. Bill yeah. always has, always has a, a good game plan against young guys, could confuse them. He does a lot of stuff with multiple fronts and guys walking up and not knowing where the blitz is coming from and uh, making a quarterback hold the ball uh, – athletic guy, being able to contain him, all those types of things. So he probably, in saying that, in the back of his mind thinks, I'm going to be able to shut these guys down. If we don't turn the ball over, we're going to be in this game. And yeah. with the Patriots this year, that's what that's unfortunately the way they have to play is what keeps us in the game? How do we stay in this game and have an opportunity to win it in the fourth quarter? And that's the approach. So uh, I, I, would, I would bet that Bill does a good job of, mugging people up and making it look like he's coming from one spot, dropping guys off another and confusing the quarterback. Also containing him by not, ru not rushing past the quarterback. One of his favorite things is bringing five guys against a mobile quarterback. And the other thing he'll do in third and extra long situations is make it look like he's coming, bail everybody out, rush to and spy him on each side of the field. Um, you know, so I think he, he has good game plans against these kind of guys. And he trusts that and just wants his offense not to lose the game for him. You know, the Dolphins are second in the league in interceptions. Xavier Howard leads the league in interceptions. So they really do take the ball away. But I want to learn about Cam. I want to see him throw it a bunch. And I also I want to learn about the receivers. I mean, I'm trying to figure out how many receivers do I need to draft? How many guys do I need to go after in free agency? I, I still want – I understand that winning – the game is probably easier if 
by running the football 47 times. But with the playoffs almost gone, I'd like to learn about Cam. I'd like to learn about the receivers. And what better way to do that than by going up against a great secondary? But based on those comments, they're going to run it 47 times. Yeah. I, I mean, his, his number one job is winning this football game or trying to win the game. Um, it's, it's picture scenario where Cam's trying to air it out. And it just doesn't look pretty against this team. It, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, I was thinking that, you know, when you brought it up last week, I was thinking that it might be a good idea. Let's, let's see if we spread it out. But when you spread out and you start airing it out and running that quick passing game and doing those types of things, number one, that's sh- shown that Cam is not really great at that. Number two, you got to be on top of all your pass protections and your checks at the line of scrimmage as far as pass protections and all that. And we've heard in the past that Cam struggled with that a little bit early in the year. Um, so the types of pass plays they do now are the play action stuff where you've got really a one side read or two receivers in the route. And that's about it. That type of stuff where we're taking a shot here. We're going hard play action. We've got the deep crosser or we're doing the little naked bootleg. I got a guy right in front of me and a tight end crossing. And those are the things he's done well. So you're not going to throw the ball 40, 35, 40 times a game doing that stuff. I think I just, at this point, I want to learn about next year and I want to evaluate Cam based on everything. And I just want to see it. If he goes out and he goes 11 for 27 with four picks, then that's going to give me an answer. If he goes out and goes 23 for 31 for 380 and two scores and no pick, that's going to give me an answer too. I just want to know whether it's good or bad. I just want to know. Yeah. Well, there's two more. We, if, if the Patriots were to lose this game, they're, they're knocked out of the playoffs. So, uh, you know, you would see that the following week or maybe even Stidham taking a shot at it. You know, I think, you, I think you're better off with him at quarterback if you're going to do that, if you're going to spread him out and throw that quick passing game and just sling it around. With Cam, you've seen this as best way. I, I kind of agreed with you. I was, you know, mulling it over for a couple of days <laughs> and thinking I'd like to see at least a couple of series there because I hated it as a quarterback. I hated throwing the ball just on third down. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, you know, I, you take a couple shots on first down during the course of a game, but it was always third down and eight when you're deciding to throw the ball. And it was so frustrating and difficult as quarterback. If you, and I said it last week, you know, if you're throwing the ball and you know you're throwing the ball, you take the check down and get the three yards on first down, or you take a shot over the top on first down without it bothering you because you know you're going to be able to throw the ball for, you know, come back after it. And you get into a groove, you get comfortable throwing it, your receivers get into a rhythm. If you're completing passes, if you're not completing passes, you're three and out, 12 seconds of run off the clock, and your defense is getting beat up. I kind of like what you said, though. At the end of your career, you liked playing in San Diego because you'd loosen up easier in the good weather. Cam in Miami in December, that arm might be feeling good if it's 75, 80 degrees. Hey, I and your grip on the ball. You know, you know we, we talked about Tom last week, like in the warm weather. Your grip on the ball. When I played in Miami, I never thought about it. When I would go to mm. Miami to play or Tampa, you grab that ball. It, it just the, the the humidity in the air, the moisture. You just felt good gripping the ball. You get in the cold weather, playing in Buffalo. I put gloves on. I started putting gloves on just when it was dry <laughs> out in Arizona where it was dry. I'd wear the gloves. It just uh, grip on the ball, feeling loose, getting warmed up, all that stuff. Uh, it, it goes a long way. Yeah, it. it I. Towards the end of my career, like I said, I played I played much better in my night games, whether it was a Sunday night, Monday night game. I played much better because I had more time to get loose during the day. 
You know, we talk about good corners. Miami's got them. Xavier Howard leads the league in interceptions. Stephon Gilmore is the reigning defensive player of the year. Aaron asks a good question in our chat here. He says, was there ever a big-name corner, corner that you worried about going into a game? Did you look and say, you know what? I'm not going to go at Aeneas Williams, or I'm not going to go at was this Aaron guy. Glenn? Aaron Glenn for the Jets. Yes. He was a shutdown corner. He was so athletic. He was in your hip pocket. The guys like a Dion, Dion yeah, Sanders yeah. as well, would play underneath the receiver. They'd let the receiver get on top. Yeah. They would sit on that underneath hip and cut with the, the out route, with the under route, with something, anything in breaking, out breaking, they were on it. And if he took off, he'd get a step for a second and they'd just close and be right yeah. there in their hip pocket. And they could shut a guy down. And Bill was the first guy to start doing that with Aaron Glenn in, in New York with the Jets of taking Aaron Glenn. When I had Eric Molds and Andre Reed, right? Yeah. These were my two wideouts. He'd take Aaron Glenn, put him over there on Andre Reed because Andre wasn't a speed demon anymore. And he just shut him down and didn't worry about him. You know, okay, we got that side cover. We're going to roll the corner on Eric Molds. Yeah. We'll put a safety over the top and the linebacker of that side. Anything in breaking, you're helping. And you know, it was very difficult. You made you work your tight end. It made you work your backs matchups. And that's uh, probably when you play a team with good corners, that's your matchups, your interior guys trying to work a slot receiver on third down versus nickel or tight end versus strong safety or back versus linebacker. You know, let me ask you this. So it's different personnel, obviously, now for the Patriots than when Brian Flores was in New England. But Brian Flores, the head coach of the Dolphins, was in New England for a number of years. How much do you ever consider the fact that, hey, Flores knows Belichick. He knows the system. He knows McDaniels. He went up against this offense in practice. He knows the tendencies. Does that ever worry you? And it goes the other way, too. Belichick knows Flores. Are these teams saying, you know what, these guys know us? Is, there, is that ever a concern? Um, not. I don't think in this situation because the offense is so different. The offense yeah. is completely different from what he's been facing. Now, what you do understand is blocking schemes, run schemes, pass protection schemes, um, and how to attack them. So, yes, there's, there's some there, but you can't, especially going up against Cam at quarterback rather than Tom, you're not anticipating the same type of pass game and, and all that. Uh, personnel, I was going to say originally, you know, if personnel stays the same, Yes, there's an advantage, especially personnel-wise. You know this guy is not as fast as everybody thinks. We can cover this guy. We can do this to this guy. He, he can't get off press coverage. Uh, we can bang the tight end. We can cover the back on these routes. Uh, you know what people – when you know what people do well, you can take it away. And that's where knowing the personnel really comes into play more so than – because you don't know when they're going to call what protections and when they're going to call what running game. You, you really, you're, it's a guessing game. Cam was very, very thoughtful this week. He's on WEEI in Boston every single week. He's always good, but he was extremely, I thought, um, thought-provoking today. He said something about practice that really resonated with me and I wanted to, to ask you about. Aaron, let's hear what Cam had to say about practice. My practice habits this year has, has, has been more anticipated than any other time in my life. I've been playing this game since I was six, seven years old, and I've never cared about practice as much as I've cared about practice since I've been in New England. So he's never cared about practice more than he has when he's been in New England, and I believe him. There are people on Twitter I see 
bashing him. Oh, he clearly doesn't practice that much. He's not playing that well. People don't like Cam because of stuff that happened earlier in his career and his dad, the whole thing at Auburn. So people have held that against Cam forever. I believe him. Um, there's a bunch of different reasons. I just think, look, when Cam was 20 and 22, he was the number one pick in the draft. He won the national championship, and he was bigger, faster, stronger than everybody. I could easily see a time in his career where maybe practice didn't mean that much to him. And now that he doesn't have that stuff, of course it's going to mean more to him. I, I just think that's natural maturation. And anybody who's bashing him, I, I strongly disagree with that. I, I agree with you 100% there. Um, at this point in your career, um, you're much more meticulous about You shouldn't make mistakes in practice. Practice should be 100%. Um, and I think, especially being in a new offense, it makes Cam work that much harder in mm -hmm. that, okay, people are getting on him a little bit, things aren't happening, whatever it is, but that he is, he, he's so competitive and so determined. You, you can see that in the way he plays on the field. Even when things don't go well, he's competing his tail off. So he wants to get better at what, whatever it is the Patriots are doing. And like you said, especially, it, I, you see this all the time. The young guy with all this athleticism they got away with just walking like yes. in, in high school and college, just walking out on the field and being six foot six and being able to run like Cam could run. I, I practice in high school was probably a joke for him. Practice <laughs> in college was ah, I got to be there. And then by the time you're you're at the professional level, you were still having success doing some of that stuff. But um, now you get older, you got to get smarter. And I, I find that when I, I played a lot of pickup basketball. When I was young, I just take the ball end to end and go to the hoop as hard as I could. Yes. Now I got to think about things and set them up. And I'm a much better shooter now than I was when I was younger because I have, to, otherwise I don't do squat. I'm used to, you know, it just, you realize now you're a little older, you can, you can win with your arm. You can win by getting rid of the football, by throwing a route on time instead of avoiding three guys, throwing guys aside and, and drilling the ball 40 yards up the field. But I, I think, think it all stems back to he wants to be great and he wants to do well here in New England. You know, you've mentioned your time in Buffalo where your family wasn't around. I think that plays, I think the pandemic plays into it also. There's nothing else to do. There is nothing else to do but care about your job and nothing else to do but care about practice. His family's not there. You can't go out. You can't really congregate with other people. There's no going out with the guys. There's no shooting pool. There's no hanging out in the locker room playing ping pong. It's like, this is what I do, and this is all I can do. Yeah, that's true. And and that it's a great thing. It's a great thing for your preparation and getting ready. But you do need a mental release and being relaxed. Sometimes you got to just turn things off. And I, for me, it was going for a job, going for a run really helped relieve mm -hmm. a lot of stress. When you when you're all in all the time, 100 percent and there's no guys getting together and just BSing or hanging out of the family dinner or whatever it might be um, that take your mind off it for a little while. You need that for a little while, even though it might be considered a distraction. There are times when you need that just to put everything on the back burner for a minute. And when you go nonstop and I was that way because I, I cared so much, I felt like I had to work three times as hard to even have a chance yeah. to be competitive. And so I did that to myself I, at times. I, I felt like the weight of the world's on my shoulder. So it, it becomes counterproductive. Like you, you put in so many hours that 
nothing's registering anymore and you got to take a break from it. Cam also spoke, this was really interesting too. He spoke about relationship building and he spoke about uh, maturity that he's kind of getting into or that he's gotten into recently. And he said, I never cared about relationship building because everything in my life, I was there quick and then I was gone. I was at Florida briefly before he left school. I was at Auburn for a year. I was at junior college for a year. I never cared about relationship building because I knew I was never going to be anywhere very long. Was relationship some, relationship building something that you took seriously, even though in your career you had bounced around a bunch? Yeah. Uh, not not like you see a lot of guys. You know, if you're a Drew Brees, if you're a Tom Brady, if you're in the same city for years, yes, that happens and you build. But I, I'll say this, that I was so busy trying to learn an offense and, and belonging myself, it was hard to me to get – the only place that I got to a point where I could do that was Buffalo, mm-hmm. where I was the starter for a couple of years in a row, starting a bunch of games and really getting to know the guys and understanding the guys on the field and dealing with different personalities off the field and talking. To, that, that started to happen a little bit in Buffalo. Um, I was in San Diego for four years, and even though in a backup role, um, I did a little bit more of it. You know, Towards the end of my career, early in my career, I was just fighting for a spot, right? I think when I was in Canada, it was more of that. I was secure in my position. Um, I got to know the young guys really well and was helping them along because, you know, if they come along, they're helping me. And right. I got to know the guys a lot more. I, I thought my years in Canada, there was also, I, we talked about um, how the schedule was different in Canada. I had a lot more free time and downtime to do that stuff. And it is important. It is good. I, I've, I always rave about Eric Moulds and how, uh, we helped each other on the field, helped each other get the Pro Bowls, things like that. But the first year that I went to Buffalo, we spent a heck of a lot of time during the offseason together. Sometimes it was playing basketball. Sometimes it was running routes. Sometimes it was grabbing lunch, whatever it was. And, and before that season started, we really knew each other. We, you, hmm. you build a trust. And when you start to learn and get to know the guys' families and get to know the people – you start to become even more accountable to them because you want to win for them as well. You know, you know what kind of effect it has on the other guy's family when, you know, he's a borderline player or something, you know, he may lose a job if he doesn't get his six catches and 80 yards. Are there guys that you still talk to from your NFL days, like guys you're still close with, or because again, the relationship building was hard. Um, Was it something that, you know, those relationships don't last? Yet a lot of them don't last. What usually ends up happening is one or two guys per team you stay close yeah. with. Or for me, it's been. Um, Tim Dwight from San Diego days. Actually, Tim and I both came to New England together for a year. Yeah. Uh, Drew Brees, all these years, Drew and I have kept in touch. Tom and I have kept in touch. Uh, go, back to, go back to the Patriots in the 80s. Cedric Jones, one of the wide receivers back then. He and I, are, he works in New York City at New York Athletic Club. And we still keep in touch. Uh, there's, there's usually uh, Ron Wooten was an offensive lineman um, from those days. So yeah, there's usually a couple of guys from each team that carry on, and you, you just, uh, you know, you, a, a lot of that stems from being a big part of each other's career. Well, let's end the podcast on this note. I've got something. So Doug, we've all said all season long, Patriots need to get weapons. They need to get weapons. We wanted to draft weapons. We wanted to trade for weapons. We wanted to sign weapons. Patriots are going to have a lot of cap space. So I just assumed like, hey, they're going to be able to sign somebody pretty good. Allen Robinson of the Chicago Bears is a free agent. Juju Smith-Schuster is a free agent. I'm like, they're going to get somebody big. And I'm like, it's not going to be a problem. I saw a quote 
the other night from Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs, wide receiver for the Bills, he was asked why did he want to leave Minnesota. He goes, the Vikings were kind of gearing towards a run-heavy offense. I didn't know going in. I didn't know it was going to be that way. They only would allow me to do so much, and in my eyes, it wasn't going to be in the best interest of my career. Well, my red flags went way up there. <laughs> yep. I just think um, I just I just think oh, the Patriots will sign somebody; it'll be great. Uh, maybe receivers don't want to come to New England. Maybe I, that's something I never considered. That might be a wait and see what goes on at the quarterback position, you know, for them before before you get an opportunity to sign somebody like a Juju Smith. Um, you you better have a guy that's pulling the trigger that that you're going to put the ball in the air to get those kind of guys, or you're not going to get those kind of guys. And that that's that's true. Um, I'm not saying that Camp can't get it done. Um, I I. I've seen what he's done this year and the way he's done it and he, he fights his tail off, but the big time receiver wants his hundred yard games, wants those big numbers wants, And I, I agree. As soon as you started talking about free agent wide receivers, big names, that's the red flag that went up for me in my mind, even before you said that. So um, that well, is, that will be an issue in drawing those kind of guys. It's going to be hard because now the Pats could re-sign cam earlier, but if they're not going to sign Cam, those big-name receivers, they're going to be signed within like the first minute of free agency. So those mm. receivers are going to come off the board before the you know Ryan Fitzpatrick's of the world do. So like receivers aren't going to – if it's not Cam, they're not going to know who it's going to be. I'm very nervous now. Yeah, that's it, – it's, it's a tough situation because that's got to happen first. And the, the offense that I believe Josh McDaniel wants to run – Josh would love to, to throw the ball 35 times a game. He, he'd love that. I know uh, he's, you know, that's what he's used to having with Tom all these years to be able to just put it in the air and go get him. And then towards the end of Tom's career with new England, uh, he buffered it somewhat because Tom wasn't as dynamic throwing the football up the field. Um, and then this year with Cam, it's gotten so much, not, not worse, but less throwing the ball so much less. And those guys, they, they want to see a guy – they want someone who's going to be throwing them the ball. And for whatever, and for whatever it is, the, the wide receivers usually voice their opinion too when they're not getting the ball. <laughs> or their trainers do it in the case of Nikhil Harry. So uh, no Patriots wide receivers are getting on the cover of Madden playing this way, which is what the wide receivers want. So uh, that's a good place to end for today. Patriots getting ready for the Dolphins, looking to move to 500. Aaron Wells is our producer. Doug Flutie, our quarterback, Heisman winner, CFL Hall of Famer. I'm Brady Farkas. Continue to follow us on social media, WDEV Radio Brady. For me, uh, Doug is at Doug Flutie, Twitter and Instagram. We'll figure out our holiday plans um, as far as when we're taping next week. We'll work around the holiday and we'll bring you something next week also. Doug, I did want to give you the chance. Um, I will be doing it, but uh, Give us the chance to, uh, if anyone wants to donate to the Flutie Foundation this holiday season, how can we do so? Go to flutiefoundation.org. It'll show you how to give online there. And uh, we appreciate everything and anything you can do. Um, it's the holiday season. I know everybody's probably strapped a little bit, but whatever you can give, whether it's $5, $10 or $100, we appreciate it. Well, I will be doing it as well. I'm sure some of our great listeners will also. So, uh, Doug, have a great uh, weekend. Enjoy the game, and we'll talk again next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.